Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. NMLS number 32416, equal housing lender. Did you put Christmas on a credit card? Don't stress out about that extra holiday spending. Savewithconrad.com can help you consolidate all of your high interest rate credit cards into one much lower monthly payment. Savewithconrad.com has helped families just like yours. Save up to $800 a month. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. And did I mention no payments until March? So don't make saving money a resolution next year. Make it happen today at SaveWithConrad.com. What's going on, everyone? It's time for another edition of Strictly Business with Eric Bischoff, presented to you by the ad-free shows and the podcast Heat Networks. I am John Alba. I'm the co-host of Strictly Business because who would I be without the star of the show, Mr. Eric Bischoff? What's going on, Easy? How we doing? I am doing great, and you're so kind, John. What a what a <laughs> what a just great way to start my day, <laughs> man. That's that's just the cherry on top of my day, Eric. It's great to see you. It's great to see everyone here on the Ad-Free Shows family who's watching live. We got Lucas in here. We got Joe in here. We got Tim in here. We got Lee who's watching from the UK. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So we've got, he says, uh, been a while, but I felt like this may be a good one to catch live for some reason. It's always a good yeah <laughs> i've been hearing a lot of that lately it's so it's always good to catch strictly business live and we got our top gal Lindsay, in here of course as well hey, Lindsay. uh great to see everyone adfreeshows.com is where you're going to get early access plus live access to all your tapings here on the podcast heat and adfree shows network so we're going to have some fun today it is going to be another edition of ask eric anything except these questions are about the business of the business and the people involved in the business so we've got a lot to cover everything good with you this week my friend man it couldn't be better i am i'm feeling great i'm down to 188 pounds nice which i probably haven't been 188 pounds since 1988, <laughs> actually. Back when we had the same it, hair. What a, what, a, what a coincidence. But yeah, I'm uh, I'm feeling great. The, the carnivore diet I'm on, the Riverbend Ranch Black Label meats that I'm getting, it's just been so easy for me, and the health benefits are phenomenal. I feel better. Honestly, John, I feel better, not just physically, but in terms of mental performance and clarity and focus. I don't remember the last time I had this much focus. It's, it's been, it's been really, uh, it's been a fun journey and I'm glad to be on it, but I'm feeling great, bro. Love hearing that. That's great to hear. 
1988. You and I had the same hair back then too. So mine was a different uh, color. (laughs) And and you hadn't made any bets about CM Punk coming back. So you had had plenty of it to go around. If I would have known then what I know now. That's right. (laughs) I never got a chance to follow up with you. Did you ever get around to seeing the Iron Claw? Not yet. Got to Got to make sure you do, man. Got to make sure you do. Just the aesthetic of it alone, Eric, will take you back. You know, it, honestly, it's not here in Cody. Or if it is, uh, I haven't seen it. No, I haven't looked. I don't know if it's on this weekend, but it hasn't. It hasn't been here. Okay. I don't think. I haven't heard about it here. I would go, but you know, we got one theater. You mm. know, there's a town of ten thousand people, so it's not like we get all the big That's movies. Fair. That's fair. Know? That's fair. I get that. Okay, Eric, I don't want to waste any more time. I want to get into some questions. we got so many great ones. If you are watching live with us on adfreeshows.com, feel free to drop your questions in the comments, and we'll try to get them on air throughout the course of this. All right, let's go to Peter here, big fan of the show. He says, hi, Eric and John. What was your last conversation like, Eric, with Tony Khan, and why do you think it's soured since? You made several appearances in AEW in 2021, but now that doesn't look like it'll happen again. What went wrong, and can it be fixed? Look, I, I this is kind of hard to explain because it's my quirky, weird way. Um, I, I, I like Tony. I think there's a lot of great things about Tony, but I lost respect for him, and and you know I've talked about this before. I want to spend a great deal of time on it's old old stuff, right? But I, I'm a I'm a ridiculously loyal person, almost <clears throat> to my detriment sometimes. Oftentimes, to be honest, and I don't mind if someone wants to take a shot at me. I'm kind of used to it. Like you know, I've been in this spot for whatever in terms of getting you know hate from those that don't think I'm qualified for the job or should have the job or did a great enough job or whatever, right? Finger poke do. <laughs> I don't mind that because I actually have fun with it now, you know, vis-a-vis the podcast and, and doing things with you. And it, it doesn't bother me a bit. But when someone who I have a ton of respect for that deserves even more than I can give. When that person is disrespected by somebody, it it bothers me more. And when Tony Khan came out and said, if Ted Turner knew 1%, 1% about you know, wrestling as I do, WCW would still be around. It was such a fundamentally ignorant statement. And by that, I mean no knowledge, no experience. That's the definition of ignorance. Right? I'm not using it derisively. But at that very moment, I went, you're just another guy. You don't, you, you're standing in, <clears throat> your show is on the Turner Broadcast Network and Turner Network Television. And you're criticizing and disrespecting, not criticizing, disrespecting from a position of absolute ignorance a guy who built the empire you're trying to survive on. And it's so disrespectful to me that I can like somebody, but if I don't have respect for them, they're just, there's another person. There's, I'm not, I'm not, I don't make any exceptions for people like that. 
in terms of reacting to them and having fun with them on social media and things like that. That's fun for me, right? I, I get a kick out of it. it. Some of the stuff just makes me laugh. It's so funny. But when Tony came out and made that statement, I was like, no, nah, he's just another Dave Meltzer dirt sheet wannabe with, with, with a lot of money, granted. But that the, the fact that he was born into a fortune doesn't necessarily make him any different than anybody else. And anybody else that was walking the street that came out and made a stupid comment like that, an ignorant comment like that about Ted Turner, I would treat them the same way. But it's not because I don't like him. It's certainly not because I'm jealous. I'm, I, I think about this three or four times a week. What if I would have been working for AEW? All this would be because of would be because of me. <laughs> you know what I mean? It it just and it comes with the territory. But I am so grateful that I'm not there, that I'm not anywhere near it. Actually, I'm sitting in this chair talking about it objectively because I can, because I don't depend on them for an income. And thank goodness for that. But man, thank God I'm not there. And it's really not anything other than just a lack of respect because of what, what Tony, the stupid, ignorant comment that he said about, about Ted Turner. That changed my perspective from, I like this guy. I don't know him really well. I mean, probably a total of 40 minutes face-to-face. -face. Don't know him, but I generally like him. And, and because I had respect for him and I could put myself in his shoes when he was launching his company, if you go back and you look at my tweets, you people that are out there thinking I'm an AEW hater, go back and look at anything that I said in social media about AEW or Tony Khan. It was all supportive. All supportive. Like, like I should have been working for them kind of promotion supportive. But, I was, but it was genuine for me. When they announced Arthur Ashe, you know, and did so well with ticket sales. I was like, man, Tony's got some balls. He's doing it. He's doing what TNA needed to do, which is another thing I'd like to touch on maybe on this show. But, you know, he was doing the things that TNA should have done but didn't have either the finances to do or the balls to do it. And there were so many things like that that I was so excited about that I thought genuinely that there would be legitimate competition. Not, not right away. And when I say competition, I mean meaningful on any metric, not just TV ratings. There's a lot of other things that go into that. But a growth pattern, anything, show me something that's growing and living and getting bigger and stronger so the industry gets bigger and stronger. Boats float higher, as they say. And I started noticing things that indicated to me, as I always talk about, I see patterns. And, and eventually I, I start connecting a couple of dots. And after a while, I, I quit being so supportive and was more or less neutral, but cheering on the sidelines up until Tony made that comment. So you can go back and look at my timeline. If you don't believe me, go back and look at my timeline. If you can, I don't even know if people have access to my timeline, but if you can go back and find any of the tweets that I put out, and you know, not in 2019, because I actually watched their debut show from WWE headquarters in Stanford, Connecticut, in the writer's room with about six or eight other WWE writers that were on my staff at the time. And all of us were cheering them on. 
not like, yay, tell you, but all of us were optimistic and hopeful because it's energy, right? And, and, and energy is better for everybody. So from that point, and then when I left, obviously, a couple months later, um, or shortly thereafter, I started, you know, tweeting again. And that's, you know, I was very supportive, very, very, very supportive. But it really, if you go back and you look at it, look at that tweet, and it goes, I don't know when it was, I think it was in November of 2020, maybe. It's two years old, I think, by now. That's when I made the comment on social media which essentially said, shut up and wrestle, which was my way of saying, Tony, focus on your own stuff because it's not going in the right direction. The patterns I'm seeing with creative, the patterns I'm seeing strategically, the things that I'm, I'm seeing when I watch the show and then learning anecdotally, you know, it's not like hard news, but you just start seeing patterns. And that, that, that's when I I started losing a little steam and as far as support. And like I said, when Tony made that comment about Ted Turner, it's like, okay, I'm just going to treat you like everybody else. You're not special. I'm, you're just another guy. You just happen to be, you know, in a lucky sperm club. Good for you. Yay, rah, rah. That doesn't make you any different than anybody else in my book. Do you think, and I'm, any follow-up to this, I'm genuinely asking as a person more than anything else. Do you think that, a comment like that, that obviously was very personal and resonated significantly with you. Could that be worked past in any way, or has that permanently damaged someone's reputation in your eyes? I'm not sure I understand the question. So he made obviously that comment about Ted that upset you. Didn't Is upset me. Let's be clear. Didn't upset me. It was the moment that I lost respect for Tony. Okay, so he went I guess from one category, which is kind of a protected category, into another category that everybody else is. I guess what I'm saying is, could his perception be rectified in your eyes and be able to move past that to create productive conversations about business and the state of the industry? Sure, I'll talk okay. to anybody. I, I when I said when we started this answer, I like Tony. I don't dislike him. I really don't. There's nothing to dislike. I have issues with the way he operates and the, obviously the things that he says sometimes, um, certainly that one, but that's not the same as disliking somebody. Mm -hmm. I mean, to, for me to dislike somebody, it has to become very, very personal. And I didn't, nothing Tony said I took personally. So, no, I, look, just because I speak out about somebody or just be, you and I could get into an argument. Do. I know I'm going to say shit that you're not going to like to hear. We always do. And <laughs> <laughs> that's why this goes around. And then you do the same yeah. for me. That's okay. I look forward to doing the next show with you. Yeah. But so that, that kind of shit doesn't get in my way. But I, I don't, here's why I don't think it matters. It's a good point. The patterns I see, now this is a broader, this is a different level, right? In terms of who Tony Khan is and what his motivations are, even though I could get past anything, I could apologize. I, and I have, by the way. Um, I've reached out more than once. Just said, hey, man, I'm, I'm here. We'll go back and forth. You can hate my guts if you want. No worries. But if you ever want to chat, 
And this was recently, by the way. So you have reached out personally to Tony Khan. Yeah. I sent him a text. You know, when, when, what was going on? Oh, it was when the NXT head to head thing was going on. Oh, Remember? a couple months ago. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. Tony was like having a meltdown because they loaded the show. I mean, he, he, he you know, dude, you're, you're, you're more careful about this shit than I am because you have to be, but I don't. So Tony was melting down and I started having fun with it because again, for me going back and forth on social media, it's just, it's, it's entertainment. And I started seeing, and I jumped in a little bit in the front and then it started, he started going like down faster, faster, faster. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm actually a little aware that some people don't react that well to that much negative pressure, especially if that, if someone like that relies so much on feedback from social media for validation. That's one of the dots that I started seeing a while ago. So I actually reached out to Tony and said, Hey man, you can tell me to fuck off if you want. I don't even know if I, I, I probably still have it in my phone. I should probably read it to you. Let me read it to you. Where's my phone? Here it is right here. Oh, that's my son trying to call me. We'll get back to him. Let's see if I can find this. And th- th- it was just really my way of saying, <clears throat> hold on. While you look for that, I just want to say this. It's all so fascinating to me when I see these interactions, especially between you two. Because you do have a lot of similarities. There are a lot of differences, for sure. You better make that really freaking clear (laughs) There are are a lot of differences. There certainly are. But you guys are both numbers-oriented people. You care about the process. And I don't just mean creative process. I mean the process in general. And you're very perceptive in the sense that you're inherently curious about people and their reactions to things and not that you care necessarily about them but you're observant to them and i think you share a lot of those qualities just even from my interactions with tony over the years been interacting with tony for five years now uh so it's interesting to see and look i have no doubt eric and i understand that the circumstances are not apples to apples but when tony goes on social media and takes a shot at a company he learned that by watching someone like you do the same thing on television. And again, I understand the circumstances are not apples to apples, but. Well, that's kind of an important, that's like saying, well, I know, you know, I, I was driving with my headlights on, you know, well, wasn't you were watching, still taking it was shots, nighttime Eric. and I was drinking and I hit a phone pole. But, but you were taking shots when WWE was substantially ahead at one point. You were John, this is shots. the part, this is the part where I, when I do entertain myself, I'm going to find this text before okay. I, before the show's over, but I, I want to hit on this point. Did I do those things? Hell yes. Bringing Lex Luger in when everybody in the country, including everybody at WWE headquarters, thought he was under contract and bringing him in to crash the party on Nitro was not just a shot at WWE. It was a kick in the balls and a curb stomp when I was done. I went after them immediately, but, and it got better from there, but 
I was going head to head. I was actually in a fight. I was in the ring. And the referee was a guy named Nielsen. That was a real competition. And I've made this so abundantly clear for so long now, two years, on every format or every platform that I'm on. I think if Tony would have come out swinging and jumped in the ring and taken those shots, I'd be cheering him on. But to do it from the sidelines when you're not really competing makes you look ignorant in the literal sense of the word. No experience, no knowledge. And it just... There's a difference, and it drives me crazy that people can't understand. Well, you did it. Well, yeah, but yeah, the circumstances were night and day. Night and day. So as long as people can keep that in their mind, and you want to take shots at me, fine, fine, go ahead and do it. I don't care. It makes me laugh. It's entertainment. But if you really want to put things in clear perspective and understand the patterns and start connecting your own dots, just think about it. It's a, there's a big difference. But I keep answering that same question. Not that I don't mind answering it, because you've given me an opportunity to dig it a little deeper than I can in 280 characters. But, yeah, big difference. It's just so fascinating to me that we get into this discourse involving very powerful people who have an opportunity to utilize social media as a way to gain valuable feedback from people there's plenty of invaluable feedback of course on social media but i do think there is something to be said about reading your audience a little bit too uh and to see the discourse just blow up in the way in which it did this past week in particular was so wild where everyone had an opinion on it and i hated to see that people got dragged into it that didn't really need to get dragged into it like jinder mahal getting dragged into it i didn't think that was very fair to him I think Ginger's, I think Ginger's, and I don't know Ginger. I've never yeah. had a conversation with him. I don't think I've ever had an opportunity to shake his hand or any of that. That being said, I'm pretty certain that Ginger's getting a kick out of this. Oh, G Ginger got publicity up the wazoo when he didn't need it, you know? So, I mean, good for him. Uh, but <laughs> Hook gets dragged into it. So, what, whatever it may be, I like Tony Khan. There are things that I'm definitely critical of in terms of, you know, the way publicly perception wise things have played out in the past couple of years but at the same time man like that's his company to run it has no impact on me it has no impact on me in any way i don't get paid by them most no, of but, we, but we all sit here and you know i'm 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 on the outside looking in yeah i'm, I'm no different than you in that yeah. respect we just have mm -hmm. different perspectives on things but you know i wanted to keep going hell you should see my I, you know, you talk. I talk, let's talk a little bit about Twitter. This show may go long. I don't know if you have the time, That's but fine. I do. Yeah, let's keep going. But, you know, it's. I have so much fun with Twitter, just in terms of trying to figure out the psychology behind some of it. And that's a funky hole. But it's not like I get wrapped up in the actual, the actual content of some of the stuff I see. But I try to put myself <clears throat> in that person's shoes for whatever nanosecond I could <clears throat> to at least try to understand that perspective. And that's the part of it that makes me have fun with it. Cause I like learning shit. I like seeing patterns where, where most people don't see them. And you know, that's 
kind of a thing for me, you know, it, example, you know, when, when people will go, well, yeah, but you don't really watch the product. True. I watch some of it, but I'm not interested in what I see in the ring unless it relates to story or character. And I can watch about 10 minutes of wrestling and, and get a feel for that or 20 minutes, right? Of a particular story that I'm interested in. I can see where it's going and where it's not going. And I, I just, I love looking for that kind of shit. When I read these things on Twitter and I'm going, okay, why would someone post something like that? Why would they respond to that? Well, not necessarily bad, also good. You know, just try to understand anyway, but it can also be so detrimental. It's a great source of, you know, it's just like, I used to say this about research whenever I said, Oh, let's do some research. And you know, I'm a firm believer in quality research. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like I think it's one of the most important assets anybody could tap into if they're really interested in building long-term, but that being said, I've also seen a shit ton of horrible research that wasn't, it just wasn't good research. Whether it be the format, the, the focus groups, the demos. No, I, you told that focus group story on here about the heels and baby faces. And yeah, and, or more importantly, it's just the quality. Look, mm -hmm. look, research is no different than anything. In. You put shit in, you're going to get shit out. The quality of the research is in creating the right questions to get into the psychology of your target audience, to try to understand what motivates them and what doesn't motivate them. And sometimes that's really subtle stuff. And that's why I love it so much. And that's what I kind of try to do when, when I'm playing on Twitter. But at the same time, man, it can, it can be a cesspool if you allow it to be. And more often than not, it just makes me laugh my ass off. The other night, I was I had an infrared sauna in, in my uh, my studio, and I was out there at night. And I'm so I'm going back. This is after you know Tony and I started having fun. I don't want to talk too much about that, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But I'm in a sauna. It was 167 degrees. I was in there for about 68 minutes, and I'm in a sauna, sweating my ass off. And I'm having fun going back and forth because it was, it made me laugh. I had nothing else to do in the sauna at my age. <laughs> That's a segue to a Bluetooth comment. If there ever was one. <laughs> you you read my mind there eric because that's exactly what i was about to uh get into right now i mean if you're looking to let's do it if you're looking to hang out in a sauna with eric bischoff i guess well then uh, hey you've got a chance to uh chew it and do it with our friends over at blue chew who are presenting this episode of strictly business for you blue chew is a unique online service delivering the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, or even if you're in a sauna. So you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. The process is so simple, too. Sign up, bluechew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you're going to receive your prescription within days. The best part, it is all done online. So no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the United States and prepared and shipped directly to your door in a discreet package. Eric, I know you're just talking about saunas, but uh, aside from saunas, where else have you found Blue Chew to be handy for you? 
Well, let's be really clear. It's a two-person sauna. My love, my wife almost genuinely <clears throat> or generally <laughs> loves to sauna with me, depending on the time of day. So <clears throat> just so anybody doesn't get Thanks for the clarification. Crazy, just don't have too much fun. That's all I ask. Uh, but uh, listen, here's the truth. This is getting kind of personal. Okay. And but because Blue Chew has been such a great partner, you know, they're, they're not just a, an advertiser. They're a partner. They've been with us a long time. And I'm going to share this bit of personal information. <clears throat> when I travel with my wife and we're out of town, sometimes it's on business together. More often than not, it's family related. We recently went to the UK. That was really an absolutely wonderful trip. And again, I can't say enough great things about Kenny McIntosh and the team over, over at Inside the Ropes. Un unbelievable experience. I have a picture that I'm going to mount in my office that we all took together. It meant that much to me. Um, but while I knew I was going over there with my wife, I knew it was going to be our first time to really get away together on a vacation by ourselves that wasn't necessarily related to the business because I wrapped up my tour in the UK and then we had a week to ourselves, whatever it was, six days. And that's the first time Lori and I have been together for an extended period of time in probably two decades where it wasn't family business related. And I wanted to gear up for that. I wanted it to be everything that it could be. So I started planning months ahead, saying, okay, I'm going to make sure I've got enough blue chew, start stacking a pack a week away for the trip, you know? So, so when the trip came, I made sure I was loaded up and ready to go because I wanted to have all kinds of fun on that trip. And I didn't want to just have fun for the sake of going through the motions. Uh-uh, not me, mucker father. I wanted performance. I wanted to be able to shift into high gear while I was in the UK for the first time in almost 20 years with my wife on a romantic trip through the hills and the lakes of Scotland. It was amazing. And Blue Chew helped me make that trip everything I hoped it could be. Wow. Or my wife. <laughs> Internationally. How about that? <laughs> I'm really glad that you had it there. It, it's good to know that it works past American borders. That's really, that's really assuring. No, I, want, I want everybody to know. I don't know what kind of award systems are. I know you got an Emmy. I don't have shit. Well, I've got the <laughs> WWE uh, Hall of Fame side plates up there in the wall next to yeah. Muhammad Ali and Jay Leto. <laughs> but... Um, this read should get whatever podcast read award is out there. Like if they have an Emmy version of a podcast read, that read should get one. And the reason I'm petitioning right here, right now to anybody in the industry that's listening to this thing is this is all unscripted. I had no idea we were getting ready to do a Bluetooth commercial, but that is what makes this show magic. So yes. come on, bring on the awards. I it absolutely you. does. It absolutely does. Blue Chew wants to help you have better sex. Discover your options at bluechew.com. Chew it and do it. We got a special deal for our listeners, Eric. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code WrestleBiz at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com, promo code WrestleBiz, W R E S T L E B I Z, to receive your first month absolutely free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring this edition of Strictly Business. Now, Eric, I want to get to this real quick before we get back to more questions. And we got a ton of questions to get to. 
because uh, this was some pretty interesting news that came down just as we started recording this, and it ties in perfectly to our podcast. So earlier this week, you may have seen WWE announced that Lee Fitting was going to be the company's new head of media and production uh, coming in, replacing Kevin Dunn. We talked about Kevin Dunn's departure last week. Now, Lee has 20 plus years at ESPN producing College Game Day, some of the company's biggest assets, right? Like this is a TV pro coming in, an outsider. So before I get into what I'm about to share with you, what's your reaction to that? Bringing in someone from the sports world to come in and take over as the head of WWE production. Great. I mean, I don't know. I have, I don't know anything about. Well, rather than looking internally, because they could have looked internally, there were certainly candidates that could have stepped in. But going well, that, that's, that. that's an interesting observation, and I didn't have time to think that through. But yeah, that's, <clears throat> you know, Mike Mansoori, who's now at AEW. My impression was back in 2019 when I had my cup and a half of coffee in WWE. But my impression was that Mike Mansoori was being groomed for that eventual opportunity right and i was so impressed and am by the way still am so impressed with with mike and his capabilities and it's just broad fundamental understanding of the process and and the technology that goes with it and the creativity that goes with it and that's another thing when you know when when mike jumped over to aw i was 100 percent supportive and very optimistic we'll leave it there but um, yeah, I think going outside as opposed to inside, and I'm sure, you know, look, not even going to begin to second cast a decision by Nick Khan, not even going to, or be in a room with someone that would necessarily, because I don't like hanging around with stupid people, but whew, I, we'll see. I don't well, know enough about it, man, to have an opinion. Well, it's interesting because, again, th this is someone who has overseen Monday Night Football, College Game Day, College Football Playoffs, some of the biggest properties that ESPN and ABC have in general. And he was let go from the company. He departed the company, I should say, at the end of the summer this past year. And a lot of people were like, what happened here? Like, what led to him wanting to do that? Well, a report from ESPN, pardon me, from The Athletic came out today. And I'm going to I'm going to read this to you here, Eric. It says that since at least 2010, ESPN inserted fake names in Emmy entries, then took the awards won by some of those imaginary individuals, had them re-engraved and given them to on-air personalities who otherwise would not have been eligible for them. Uh, there's no evidence the athletic reports that on-air individuals were aware the Emmys given to them were improperly obtained. The fraud was, this is according to the athletic report, the fraud was discovered by the NATAS, which prompted an investigation by the organization and later by ESPN. Those probes resulted in sanctions beyond the return of the trophies. While it's not known who orchestrated the scheme, Craig Lazarus, vice president and executive producer of original content and features, and Lee Fitting, a senior vice president of production who oversaw College Game Day and other properties, were among the ESPN employees that were ruled ineligible from future participation in the Emmys. Lee Fitting is the man that WWE just named as their head of production. Uh, and people are starting to put some pieces together and are curious as to whether there's a connection there. 
but it's a really interesting report. Go check it out from The Athletic. So uh, we'll have to find out, Eric. So boil that down, summarize. So, so basically sure. all of that leads one without making an accusation, mm -hmm. infers and guides one down the path to believe or assume that the two – Leaf Fitting, is that his name? Leaf Fitting, yes. Who's mm -hmm. the other guy? Leaf Fitting, and then in addition to Leaf Fitting – uh, it was also, I want to, Craig Lazarus, who was the VP and EP of original content. God, I wonder if he's related to Mike Lazarus. I don't know. Mike Lazarus used to be a big deal at Turner Sports or Turner. Anyway, um, it look, there's no accusation there, but it certainly infers and leads one to believe that Mr. Fitting perhaps was, what, the architect of this? Or, or at least involved. Or involved in it. Mm -hmm. I think that's unfortunate on, on every level. Um, incredibly unfortunate if it's true. Even more unfortunate if it's not true. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Because now the stigma's there. That's, you know, it's dangerous. I get yeah. it. It's a great headline. It's a great discussion point. But unless there is a, a legitimate accusation, meaning police report, some kind of investigation, legitimate one, um, and there's, you know, evidence, if it's true, then pfft, it is what it is, brother. You'll live. At the end of it, you'll still be alive. You may be miserable, but you'll still be alive. But if it's not true... It's just another example of putting information out there before it should be. We will find out. It's an interesting report. Go check it out over. Other than that, hey, on a high note, let's look at it from a mason jar half full instead of a mason jar half empty. If it is true, who better than Mr. Fitting with his vast experience which has nothing to do with the inference. I'm not even going to call it an accusation. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with the rumor. But this guy's got a shit ton of experience, right? And he knows how to make it a work. <laughs> Who better? Uh, There's nobody better. He's using gimmick names, man. <laughs> he already understands the power of a work. Now, the yeah. execution perhaps was a little sloppy, but <laughs> you learn, right? Yeah. Could be perfect. Mason hey, jar I, half full. I'm 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 interested by the prospect of WWE having some sports television influence. I think that could really enhance the product even more, honestly. Why they've done such a horseshit job with their own platform. Why do you think they're bringing anything? ESPN is a joke. I mean, I still, I'm, not a, I'm not a sports fan. I'd be embarrassed to have it on my television. I still I love sports television presentation in general i think the process of producing sports television is so fascinating and and having been in multiple avenues of producing sports television on air and off air it's such a machine and i'm always so interested by how that process comes together so 
I'm curious to see what kind of influence we'll have from it. I mean, no one. You know does what I started doing because I, I don't like ESPN. I don't like they've they've if they've injected themselves into too much shit. This got nothing to do with sports. So I don't care. I don't give a shit about ESPN. I won't put it on on my tell on my on my television. I just won't. If I want information, you know what I do on Sundays? I go to CBS Sports Radio. And I would rather listen to legitimate coverage of football and what's going on. And I don't disagree with you in terms of the, just the process of it all, but they've gone, ESPN has gone so far past what sports is. I'm out, man. I'm out. I'll, I'll sit down in my truck looking out over the reservoir that leads you up into Yellowstone (laughs) national park with my dog. I'll be in my 1995 GMC 2,500 three quarter ton pickup that most people would be embarrassed to drive. I love my truck. I've had it since 1998. More importantly, my dog loves my truck. I would rather sit in my truck, my 1995 GMC with my dog, Nikki, looking out over the mountains, listening to CBS sports radio on Sunday, then watch 30 seconds of ESPN. Well, there. I'm not talking about the news operations. I'm talking about this is all game. This guy was in charge of game production. And I think that that's all just so fascinating. Uh, by the way, Eric confirming this. I just looked it up too. Uh, Mark and Craig Lazarus are indeed brothers. So there you go. <laughs> little intrigue little intrigue Ooh. on top of that <laughs> for yeah. those of you that are watching on youtube hey if you're not watching on youtube you have to be watching on youtube you should. or you should. unless you're an ad-free show subscriber and they get everything right oh yeah oh yeah Absolutely. but if you're watching on youtube subscribe and like right now drop what you do don't drop the phone if you're on it watching this but sit down and subscribe Let's keep rolling here, Eric. We got Fantasy Handbook. Without saying names unless you want to, what is the weirdest, most outlandish, or at least the most unique request from a talent during contract negotiations? I mean, nothing that, you know, you wouldn't expect, right? First-class airfare, first-class hotels. I mean, money, obviously, that's central focus but i never had you know like nobody said okay i'm only gonna do this if you bring green m&ms to my room i was gonna say no m&ms no there was none of that weird shit it was just you know trying to squeeze as much juice as you could out of the lemon and and all of the things that you might expect hmm that's disappointing i was kind of hoping Why? that someone had some really outlandish contract request no because look the, the only people that could propose an outlandish contract request are people that were pretty successful and they had a pretty good idea what the parameters were. They would try to push those parameters, but no one's going to make me bring M&Ms to the party. Not happening. Not with that level of talent. Okay. Okay. One from Joe here on ad free shows. What were the talks and the finances involved when you started to grab top stars like Hogan and Savage for WCW? Did Turner just give you such and such amount of money and say, go get him or how? (laughs) Now that's another really funny perception, you know, the narrative that's fundamentally out there and supported by the dirt sheet universe. But look, Hogan was, Hogan was the first domino to fall. And this is what people need to understand. Read Guy Evans book. It's, it's you know, the incredible rise in, in the, the fall of WCW. Um, I'm, I'm butchering the title, but it's a long title. And I'm trying to make a point. Go back and read that book. But when I took over, 
WCW, my first order of business was to cut costs dramatically, starting with travel. Because I took a look at travel. And also, as a talent, I was familiar with the travel process. You know, the, Kelly, the girl in travel, who didn't work for WCW, she worked for Turner Travel, right? But we had to order travel through her, even though she wasn't in our office, it was in her company ship. So I'm just like everybody else. You know, this is before the internet and computers and all, well, internet primarily and phones and all that shit. Everything, you were still getting hard tickets. You got on the, you got on a plane with a physical piece of paper that had been printed up and sent to us as WCW employees whenever we had to travel. Well, I, I was in WCW for, you know, I got there in whatever it was, 91. And after three, four, five months, got kind of integrated in, you know, I was talent. And I was a C-squad talent. I wasn't even a, I was just a little bit higher up the level than a potted plant. So no big deal. And as it, it, kind of a fly on the wall, that's what I'm saying. And as a fly on the wall around other talent, I start hearing the chatter about how to exploit the travel system to pocket thousands of dollars a month, sometimes a week, depending on who you were. And I never, I never ratted anybody out. It's not my deal. It's not my business. I just put that person in a category that's over here and make sure they don't get into this one. <laughs> Meaning I distance myself more than anything. Um, never said a word, but once I got into control, one of the first things I did was dig deep into travel. And I went so far and I got shot down by Turner. I didn't get shot down. I couldn't get shot down in WCW. I was calling the shots. But I still had to have things approved by senior executives at Turner, who I reported to, either directly or indirectly. My initiative was to, talent doesn't get to use their frequent flyer miles anymore. Because we were in a cost-cutting phase, and I looked at our travel budget and went, I know a certain percentage of this is just fraud, and the rest of it is just inefficiency. So let's focus on the two things we can control immediately, but here's what we do going into the future. To further reduce and maintain control of travel budgets, if there's a frequent flyer involved, it's a company frequent. It's a WCW frequent. If we're booking the ticket and paying for the ticket to get the talent to work so that they can make money, we're taking those benefits. Yeah, reap the benefit, right? And I put the I put the math together for it at that time based on frequent flyer mileage and how much a certain talent. You know, I I, I took five or eight people as an example when I proposed this and how much money we would save at the end of every year for each one of those talents. Right. As an example, and I was jacked, I was jacked because this was a big deal. I got shot down because Turner didn't want to treat WCW differently than it treated the rest of its divisions, meaning mm -hmm. that if they're going to make it good for WCW at some point, they're probably going to end up making it good or dealing with the issue in other divisions of Turner. That was their call not to do it, not mine. That's just giving you an example of all the things that I was doing before Hulk Hogan became a conversation. And as a result of that example, and a lot of others, you know, nobody wants to hear really right now, I had focused so much on 
waste, fraud, and abuse, and the budget overall, that people in Turner, Bill Shaw primarily, and as a result, Ted, started paying a little closer attention to what I was doing and what where WCW was going. The Disney tapings was a tipping point. And I put that whole thing together because on the surface, it was very expensive. But when you extrapolate it or monetize it over 18 weeks, 16 weeks, whatever amount of television we were shooting over the course of five days, the economies of scale were very impressive. Mm-hmm. And the quality of the product went up. And advertisers' response to it started to change. That's when, about that time, is when I started thinking about Hulk Hogan. And because I did the work, I was able to have a conversation with Bill Shaw. I didn't go to Ted. I was able to have a conversation with Bill Shaw, who then went to Ted and said, here's here's where WCW was. Here's where it is. Here's why it's where it's at right now. It's heading in the right direction. And now we have an opportunity. That was it. I, I, I pitched it to, to Bill. I said, hey, we have an opportunity. He asked me how much it was going to cost. I told him. He said, let me see what I can do. He came back a couple of days later and said, okay, let's start. Yay. But I earned that opportunity. There was no blank check. There was no uh, Turner's money. That's bullshit. I had far more constraints on me in, in terms of my access to the Turner budget by a multiplier of, I don't know, a million than Tony Khan does. I was under a ton of financial pressure. So it, and, and, and after Hulk, that's when the momentum started really building and continued to build with each strategic decision I made. When it was Randy Savage, that was a simple, I didn't even have to go to anybody for that one. I had the authority to commit, financially commit up to a million dollars without any approval for anybody. From and he was buck-ass naked in a hotel room with you. No, I, I mean, and that was, if, if that million dollars was in the budget, meaning if I had $100 million or $50 million for my total talent budget and I wanted to spend a million of it, as long as I was under budget, I could do it without having, mm-hmm. even making a phone call. But obviously at Hulk's level, that was a little bit different. But the Randy thing, first of all, it was under a million bucks, so I didn't have to ask. But secondly, if I would have had to explain it, so, okay, Randy Savage, $750,000 or a million, whatever. Well, I think it was seven fifty, And he's bringing this $750,000 of revenue that we never had before with him. It, yeah, I don't know. Out, right? yeah. <laughs> Heads you win, tails you win. That's, right. that's Absolutely. It just got easier after that because the company was growing. The revenues were coming in and it, it just got easier. So earlier this week, Eric, Sports Business Journal predicted WWE would have its raw rights add up on Amazon and that they would end up over there. Lightshed Partners, which is a technology media and telecom research firm, made the prediction that WBD is going to lose the NBA and as a result, pivot to raw. So a lot of speculation going around within the industry right now as to the future of that. Michael wants to know, do you think a potential deal with WWE and Amazon for raw could pave the way for Amazon to get the entire streaming rights when the deal with Peacock runs out. I mean, sure. Why not? I mean, there's a, let's just take a scenario. Let's just do some fantasy booking on the business side of things. Streaming deal for raw. 
successful to whatever degree. And I mean successful for Amazon. WWE is going to get what they're going to get, but successful for Amazon. Let's say they expected to generate X amount of revenue at the end of the third year, because nothing happens fast, right? It's a, it's a slow build. Three years is fast, but in, in, in the terms of building business. But let, let's say they, they exceed their, their goals by 10%. That's good. Yay, rah, rah. It was a good decision. But maybe not think too much about expanding unless you have information and, and, and research that tells you otherwise. That deal will probably be what that deal is and not change much, if it changed at all, in the future. But let's say that same scenario comes along and Amazon's got raw. It's kind of a test. It's a test flight for lack of a better term, and they have a certain expectation at the end of that contract. And let's say they blow by that by, I don't know, 75, 80, 90%. And they've also learned about all of the ancillary revenue opportunities that come with something like WWE, which has such an amazing merchandising machine already and does such an amazing number in terms of merchandising, direct merchandising, that could only be expanded upon with a company like Amazon. That's when you might see a bigger play. So it's just time, but anything can happen. Sure. There's a million different variations of what a deal could look like. It's just, where are we at in the moment that you're actually negotiating them? Leland says, Hey Eric, do you have any insight on creating the touring schedule for wrestling? I ask because I live in Boston. AEW has only been here once since November 2022. And that time, WWE has been here four times with between 9 and 13K tickets sold. I, I don't. You know, first of all, I never really got hands-on on, on touring schedules and models. I left that to... Well, I inherited Gary Jester, who quite honestly sucked at it. But when um, Zane Breslov came along, that was... Zane Breslov, he's no longer with us, but Zane was, uh, he had worked with WWE at a pretty high level and had some great success there uh, in the, the live event promotion side of things. Look, and if Zane had his own promotion company called Awesome Promotions, he was based in Denver, but he was like the, he was like the uh, Raphael Morphy, yeah. only an independent contractor. Who just left AEW, by the way. Yep, right. We talked about that, 83 weeks. but. Um, I never really touched too much of it, so I don't have any real structural insight into that process other than I believe, like anything else, it's about relationships and it's about money. I do know that markets like Boston, anywhere in the Northeast, are really expensive markets. It just is. Everything is more expensive in cities like New York, Boston, Los Angeles, particularly New York. And when you go into a heavily union market, it can become even more expensive yeah. in terms of live event production. Yeah. You could as much as double your average cost of production simply because of the venue you're in. So that probably has a lot to do with it. But I, beyond that, and that's a generalization, I, I wouldn't know. Would love to get someone on this podcast to take a deeper dive into that because I do think it's really, really interesting. Uh, we got Tommy. How much do you think channel jumping like TNA after they left Spike hurts or helps a wrestling company? Raw's only been on two channels while SmackDown seems to jump around whenever the media rights are up. One of the great things about 
the wrestling product, whatever company, right? Your audience will find you. There, the wrestling audiences, I think, and, I, and I'm not an expert in this because I've never really sat down with people that really are and read the research or done the research myself, but just haven't been around shit for a while. Um, I know the NFL's got an amazing fan base. NASCAR's got a very loyal, I think the NASCAR fan base in terms of real loyalty is probably more loyal than most NFL fans. They're fair weather fans, you know, typically. Whereas NASCAR fans are just, they're addicted to the legend, right? And they get caught up in all the different driver emotion. But I think the NASCAR audience, having been around it, I sponsored a car, sponsored a Bush car, Kyle Petty, for God's sake. So I, I've been around it enough. And if I compare a wrestling audience that I've been around a couple of times to a NASCAR audience where I was, you know, in the pits, so to speak, and, and down in center field, I would, and in the stands, I would say the NASCAR audience is, is almost as loyal as a wrestling audience. I can compare yeah. the two because I've been there and I've done it on different levels. So when a, when a wrestling, you know, whether it's WWE or AEW, if AEW moves to another network, every single one of the 845,000 average weekly viewers of Dynamite will absolutely know where it's going and will absolutely follow them, provided that cable outlet or whatever they're on is available to them. And if not, they'll seek that out and, and download it or subscribe to it or whatever. So I don't think it's going to have a big effect at all. Interesting one from Chris here, and I'm going to try to break it down a little bit. He says, do you ever see WWE bidding out WrestleMania or other PLEs to media companies like the Super Bowl? Now, I think what he's alluding to here is that the Super Bowl airs on a different network every single year. But I would like to remind him, too, that the Super Bowl and those networks that the NFL works with, there's a partnership there. So they're simply rotating it among their media rights partners. But I do think it's an interesting question, Eric. Could you ever see a scenario where WWE would license out a major show to maybe someone that's not a TV partner or maybe another entity that is and put it on broadcast? Again, I'm, I'm, I'm not following. What, what would that look like? So give me a, yeah, I'll a, give you an example. Sure. So hypothetically speaking, let's say WWE licensed out a pay-per-view specifically that would air on an ESPN network, like an event produced just for them. Or so ESPN and the ESPN in this case would be the third party you're referencing. Yeah. Okay. No. Okay. I got that part. Yeah. I, I just got a little confused at the end. So no, could I see it? Look in growth in exponential growth, anything could happen. I mean, if you look again, step way, way back and kind of look at the dots, try to see the pattern of where WWE might be going. I know. Let's look at their international PLEs. There's a big dot. Let's start with that dot. Right. And before we look too much forward, let's look back and look at the success they've had with WrestleMania and selling that to markets. That same opportunity applies to a network. So that in growth, why wouldn't they be interested or at least have a conversation about that with an NBC or a major network or an Amazon or anybody else that comes along between now and then that could expose that product to an even broader market that currently exists? 
Because that's what it's all about for WWE, I think. I don't know. I'm not on the inside. But their growth, the dots, the pattern is pretty obvious that they want to expand their revenues globally. Because perhaps they've not reached a peak, but they're doing so well here with the models that they've created. Why not expand those models, not only to markets internationally, but to their distribution partners as well? I think it's a great idea. I think it could absolutely happen with success and in growth. From the Anfree Show side, shot by Lou asks, if AEW is impact, what does that make WCW? Asking because you didn't have a gate as big as All In. If, if All In and, and one um, outlier event is going to be your barometer in analyzing and, and developing a perspective for a comparison for those two companies, then I, there's nothing that I can say to, to help you have a clearer picture. I'm out. I mean, it's like, I'm not angry. I'm, I'm disappointed because it's not hard to figure out. You look at, let's talk about it. This was the, this is the, the, I made a comment. Started Mercedes Monet. Somebody asked me, is she going to make a difference in AEW? My answer is, nope, nada. That's it. That's all I said. I got close to a million views or whatever that's called. I mean, it was, it was like, whoa, people really responded to that. It's like, why, why is that so hard to understand? If you look at where AEW is now, and I'm going to go into this in depth, in depth on 83 weeks, but just broad strokes. If you look at where AEW is now in every metric other than Wembley. In every other metric, AEW is a fraction of what WCW was in 1999. Overall revenues. Well, except for profitability, but we don't know about AEW's profitability because nobody ever talks about that. There's inferences and innuendo and rumors and spin, but we don't know. But in terms of people watching, 98 for sure. Not even close, a fraction of a fraction of where WCW was in 98. And my guess is without, you know, looking at the information available to me, they probably weren't even doing as well as WCW was in 1999 while the wheels were falling off. They certainly aren't doing as well in some metrics as WCW was in 1992 in terms of percentage of the market. If you go back and look at the ratings, which is the only really barometer, the only metric we can really compare at the time, that's easily accessible. You go back and, and look at WCW's ratings on WCW Saturday night, 605 Eastern, 305 Central. Compare those ratings to those of Monday Night Raw on USA Network in prime time. I don't have the shit memorized, but I'm pretty sure if you looked at that, you would see that WCW had about 50% of the domestic television market share. Not a lot of duplication. You can argue that, blah, 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 blah. But if you look at ratings, just, just the only real data point you can you can point to that is fair, where we're on an even keel, because WCW didn't have a big live event business at the time. So there's certain metrics you just can't really look at. But go back and, and find the TV ratings for WCW Saturday night and that of Monday Night Raw. And you're gonna find that we were competitive with and that was on a horrible night, Saturday night, 605, 305 Pacific, horrible night. 
And we were WCW. I wasn't there then. I wasn't in, in business then. But WCW was competing very favorably with WWE Monday Night Raw. That has never been the case with AEW. Never. Not even close. So when I say, when I make those comparisons, it's in a, a broader perspective. But more importantly, to the question, to the point, and my comments on social media, Step back. Don't look at isolated moments within the ring or in the business outside of the ring. But look at the patterns. TNA, before I got there, Dixie Carter brought in Booker T, Dusty Rhodes, Sting, Kurt Angle, Christian Cage. Brought in so many WCW Guys, and then when the, she wanted Hulk Hogan to add to the to, to the to the roster, and unfortunately for sure, her, I you know I was part of the package. She didn't want to hire Eric Bischoff, N not initially. She wanted to hire Hulk Hogan, but I came with the package, kind of like Jimmy Hart. <laughs> but they wanted to be competitive, and they brought all this talent in, and it didn't work. And one of, when I got there, one of the things that I believed firmly and was very persistent about was that in order to build and grow the business, you can't rely upon talent. They're an important part of it. You're not really in the business without it. It's the core. It's the nuclei of the entire company cell, so to speak. But you need more than that. And once you've got the nucleus, which is the talent, now you've got to make that nucleus stronger and build it by taking the show. You've got to produce the show in front of a live crowd in an arena, not on a soundstage, or you're never going to have the credibility or the success that the potential of having these big names are going to bring. And that's what I said earlier. When Tony Khan went, fuck it, I'm going to Arthur Ashe. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to do it. That's why I was so excited because he, he's got the talent. Now he's got the guts and the strategy. Let's do it. But he stopped there. Okay. Here's, here's a fun one from Brian. What is the biggest match in the wrestling business right now that can be currently put out outside of rock versus Roman Reigns? So what is the biggest match you could see Eric aside from rock Roman? Roman Cody. Roman Cody, too? Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. Not, not, didn't, I mean, it was such an obvious answer that I had to make sure it wasn't obvious. <laughs> but there's nothing else that I'd be more interested in seeing. What about Austin Punk? Nah. No? Nah. It's not, it's, I mean, there's a nostalgia bite to it, which I like. Obviously, I love, you know, I love Steve as a person and, and a friend, and I really dig his character. And there's that, you know, macaroni cheese part of me that wants macaroni and cheese part of me that wants to get back in the, that comfort food of wrestling. And, and Steve, Steve Austin is that for me, really. And to me, it was like one of the most fun times um, of the wrestling business and, and as a fan and as a character, just admiring the character and, and how he created it. How it evolved, 
you know, how, how he had to overcome a lot of things in order to force it to evolve internally. I think all that is really fascinating to me. So that's why I say it's my macaroni and cheese of wrestling. It's that's my comfort food, but in terms of it being, you know, relevant and important and current and, you know, what's going to happen next, where's the business going to go. That's got to be Roman Cody. I'll give you one. Ready? Sure. L Logan Paul, John Cena. Not the same. That's you a great attraction. Yeah, it's great attraction, but that's not, where the that's not where the business is going to go. You don't think that's a huge mainstream attraction that would draw a ton of eyes onto the no, business? No, we're saying, well, you're not hearing me, or I'm not explaining myself correctly. I think in terms of dollar volume, revenue, Logan, Cena, I'd, I'd vote that. In terms of, you asked me what I was most interested in. And what I'm most interested in is where the business is going and growing. And as much of an attraction mm -hmm. and great business move as it would be, Logan and Cena is just that. It's an attraction. It's not where the business is going. It's where that moment is going. It's fair enough. Uh, let's get a few more here. We got from Ashley. With the elimination of the pay-per-view being replaced with the premium live event, how does WWE make up the revenue from pay-per-views? I'm paying $11.99 for Peacock versus significantly more than I was for pay-per-views. I also wonder how this affects the earnings of talent. It's just a different revenue model. It, 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 Distill down the first part of the question for me. I want to make sure I answer it correctly. Sure. It's a great, great, great question, by the way. So Ashley says, with the elimination of the pay-per-view being replaced with the PLE, I assume she means the pay-per-view model, how does the WWE make up revenue from pay-per-views? Great. Um, again, great question, Ashley. Thank you very much for, for posing it. Um, volume. Just like any other business, if at the end of the year, your streaming revenue, which includes your PLEs, surpasses or promises to surpass, forecast to surpass the kind of binary accounting that you previously had, which is pay-per-view revenues in this bucket, television revenues in this bucket. There's no such thing as streaming. But by combining and perhaps eliminating the, the, the pay-per-view revenue model, but using that same content in a more profitable way by using it in your streaming platform, which over the long term generates more profit and more revenue, that's why you would do it, and that's how they're making money. Now, I don't know what the math is. I don't know what, the, what it looks like, but it would be interesting as an exercise um, just to kind of think through things a little bit is to find some data that would show you, you know, an, an annual report that would show you, I'm just going to pick a date out of thin air, you know, 2000 and uh, let's say 2000 before streaming, some point before streaming and add up that revenue from pay-per-views only and then look at where we are with pay-per-views being included in the streaming platform and the revenue that that's created. My guess is it far surpasses it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, and also, you know, WWE is getting a guaranteed rate from NBC Universal with Peacock. 
they're getting a fixed amount every single year as part of that streaming licensing deal. So it's not dependent on, and that's the difference between the current Peacock structure and the WWE network structure when that launched was you know, their profits were only based on how many subscribers they had. With this, it's a blanket rate. WWE is getting a fixed amount, no matter how many subscribers are coming just for WWE content. And, can I, and, that's, and, and that's a good point. I mean, you're, you're delineating it down just a little bit deeper and that's smart. Um, and there's also the stability factor. You can forecast right. on your revenue from your PLEs, right? Because it's part of a fixed number. So you, you know what that revenue is. That, that's not a bad thing either. What I'm really curious about this year with WWE, they just built the new headquarters and the new headquarters have the gigantic production facility. I'm sure you'd be looking at like a shiny new toy if you stepped foot in there. Man, that'd be I'm, awesome. I would love to see that. I'm sure I'll get an opportunity someday, but I, when I'm, next time I'm in Stanford to, to visit Bruce and Stephanie, his wife and his kids, I, I'm sure I'll get an opportunity, but I'm looking forward to it because that <laughs> would be is, like rocket into the back of the Starship Enterprise. I'm curious if they expand on their program offering, whether it's domestically, internationally, because that was such a big part of when the WWE Network launched. They had all these original programming. And then since the Peacock move happened, there's barely any. Pretty much the only content they're producing is the live TV content. So I'm really curious to see now with Endeavor in the fold and the new production facility, if we start to see more original content distributed on Peacock. And then if that's leveraged into a future content deal with another distributor. See what happens when you grow all these opportunities to yeah. expand because those opportunities didn't really exist before they were out yeah. there, but your means to get to them were somewhat limited. But now with this merger and we talked about this, you know, early on when I predicted no one else in the peripheral wrestling business other than me predicted endeavor long before endeavor was on anybody's lips. And it was for this very reason. And it's that very reason that you people listen to Strictly Business and are some of the most erudite wrestling fans anywhere in the world. And I thank you. Got one more for you here. And we'll wrap up. This is a fun one. A fun hypothetical. Oh, we're going go to go back. We're going to go back to Fantasy Handbook here. Ready? Oh, yeah. It says, Eric, let's say your father, hypothetically speaking, was a billionaire. And you wanted to run a wrestling company. Would you have opened a new company with a few well-known names? Or would you have bought an established company like TNA, for example, and invest your money into bringing bigger names and upping the production brand? And when I say erudite wrestling fans, this question is a manifestation of my previous comment. It's such a smart, smart question. And I'm going to do my best to give you an answer that your question deserves. God, I love our audience. I really do. <laughs> um, I would start from scratch with a couple brand name talents. Somebody's got some equity. They're going to bring an audience with them. That's what I mean by equity. They have a loyal fan base, all of their own outside of their wrestling organization. And a loyal, loyal one that will follow. So I would, I would find that right person or persons, and I would start from scratch, and I'll tell you why. 
buying an existing, excuse me, buying an existing company, inheriting all of the assets. I say inheriting, but I mean buying, acquiring all of those assets. You add those all up on a, on a piece of paper and you, you give it a score. Say it's 10. And then you look at all the negatives, whether it be finance, the current financial state of the company, whether it be the general reputation of the company or perception of the company. Because much like WCW, and people oftentimes make this comparison, yeah, but WCW was around for 10 years. AEW's only been around for five. True. Absolutely true. And that is not to be discounted. However, WCW had spent the majority of the five or 10 years that they'd been around previous to, to, to me getting involved and becoming successful with, with that brand. They had buried themselves so badly. The perception of the brand was so damaged. You weren't just in the, you weren't just acquiring the assets. You were also acquiring the baggage whether that be financial baggage or reputational baggage or just general brand damage. And what made rehabbing and rebuilding WCW such a challenge is because the market already had a bad taste in their mouth about it. And getting people to change their eating habits is fucking difficult. Once someone makes up a mind, their minds that they don't like dill pickles, there's nothing you're going to do outside of force that's going to get them to eat a fucking dill pickle. And WCW was a dill pickle that everybody tried and nobody liked. Well, let me take that back. WCW was a dill pickle that most people tried and decided they didn't like because there was a better version of that dill pickle over in Connecticut. So... Yeah, when I brought it, when I took over WCW, it had been around in many ways, unfortunately, because I had to overcome the financial baggage, the reputational baggage, the general brand damage and perception. So I wasn't just building my company and trying to promote myself. I was trying to get people to believe that we were different than we have been for the last five, six, seven, eight years, whatever it was. Makes sense. Well, it's like you always talk about less than, greater than. That was, a, that was a yes or a no. Does it make sense? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm saying. Because sometimes like, I confuse myself when I get this. No, no, I'm no. Well, I'm saying it's like when when an audience determines that something is less than, it's pretty hard to convince them otherwise. Well, it goes back to the beginning of Nitro. Eric, why don't you go head to head? This McMahon every Monday night on TNT. Scott's ass is going, what? Why what? TNT, head to head, prime time. That's right. That's what I want you to do, Eric. All right, it's been nice meeting you. You know your way out. See ya. <laughs> right? I go out of the office. That's the first time I've ever done that. That's funny. Pretty um, good. I go out of the office. I, I get to my office. I leave Ted's, stop for a minute on the atrium, go, oh, my God, what just happened to me? make it to my office. And I knew within an hour that the only thing that I could do was be better than less than or different than that's it, man. It's mm -hmm. part of the controversy equation.
you figured that one out a long time ago. There's no doubting that, Eric Bischoff. Uh, great, great, great stuff from our Strictly Business fans. Really appreciate you guys getting in all your awesome questions. Kicking off 2024 the right way. So let's talk how you can be part of our team. You head on over to advertisewitheric.com. You're going to get your business. You're going to get your product in front of thousands of fans every single week right here on the 83 Weeks feed as part of Strictly Business. Did you not hear that ad read earlier for Blue Chew? Imagine Eric that award winning. About, if that thing doesn't win an award, I'm going to be hot. Imagine Eric talking about your product in a sauna. Let's make it happen here on Strictly Business. Advertise with Eric.com. Oh, one more thing. Ask? One yes, more thing. Please. Get riverbend.com. <laughs> Best meat you'll ever have. We'll be smoking meats all 2024, so I'm looking forward to that as well. This has been another edition of Strictly Business with Eric Bischoff. Wait, we'll see you next week. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on, right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.